What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome to episode 399 with my guest, Emma. I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, a place for honesty about all the battles in our heads from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction to everyday compulsive negative thinking. Uh, this show's not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. I'm not a therapist. It's not a doctor's office. It's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. Uh, the website for this show is mentalpod.com, and uh, mentalpod is also the uh, Twitter and Instagram handle. If you uh, want to follow me slash the show on that, um, found some interesting surveys for for this week's show, um, and particularly ones that have to do with body shame. And so, um, those are those are the ones that I picked, and they're not all exclusively around that. But I kind of like when I. Uh, I'm able to find a theme for the surveys for uh, a particular show and um, some very moving, some very moving surveys. Because I think we all struggle with hating something about our bodies. I don't know if I've ever met somebody that is completely comfortable in their literal skin. Um, yeah, so it'll be interesting to hear uh, people People share about that. And I really like this uh, interview slash conversation I have with Emma. And that's a pseudonym we're, we're using for her. Uh, very, very lovely woman uh, who uh, made the flight from England to, to Ireland to um, record the show. And it's always nice when an English person travels to Ireland to not colonize. It's just so refreshing. Um. Hey, I want to mention our sponsor for uh, this week is BetterHelp.com. They provide online counseling, and I use them, and I love them. And the feedback I get from people who have tried it is great. And why not? Especially if you live in the boonies. It's, it's so simple. I don't even live in the boonies. I live in Los Angeles, and I just love, once a week, hopping on 
video chat with, uh, with my therapist, not having to get in the car, not having to worry about traffic or parking. And, uh, for me, the most important part is being able to have that face to face connection with, uh, with the therapist. And so, um, yeah, it's definitely as every, every bit as, um, uh, I get all the feels I get from in-person, uh, counseling from my online counselor, Donna. So go to betterhelp.com slash mental, fill out a questionnaire and you make sure you include the slash mental part because then they know you came from, uh, the podcast, fill out a questionnaire and they'll match you up with a betterhelp.com counselor and you can experience a free week of, uh, counseling. See if online counseling works for you and you need to be over 18. Okay, two quick surveys, and then we'll get to the uh, to the interview. This is an awful moment filled out by a guy who calls himself Looney Tunes, and he writes, I was in middle school, uh, and a boy came out as being gay publicly, which was a big deal in the late 90s in my rural American town. I cornered him in the bathroom and called him mean, cruel names and threatened him with violence. I then went home, ate a sandwich, and went to my neighbor's house. I had to be prompt because if I was late, he would beat me. I then acted as a sexual slave for him and his friends. Looking back, I was yelling at myself and those men transposing my feelings onto him as an easy target. Um, oh, I was yelling at myself and those men transposing my feelings onto him as an easy target. He had the courage to say, this is who I am. You will accept me. He was a hero and I spat on him. Thank you for sharing that, and, you know, don't underestimate the importance of you becoming enlightened on the humanity of people that are different than you. That's the most important thing. You know, we're all going to fuck up in our lifetimes. It's how we clean up our our messes, and the fact that you can now see the truth of what happened, um, I think, is... Uh, really noble and beautiful. And so I hope you can forgive yourself. And I hope if you, your paths ever cross with that kid, um, you'll get a chance to uh, apologize to to him um, if that feels right to you. But um, it sounds like you've learned from it. And I think that's awesome. So stop beating yourself up. And I am so sorry that you had to experience what you did as a, as a kid. Um, it's so common for kids to turn around and project um, what is happening to them uh, onto other kids or just point their hatred outwards. Um, so um, I hope I hope you're getting help for, for that trauma because that is some serious shit that uh, and you just shared a tiny bit about it. Um, and we also have another one of uh, his surveys that I'm going to read after the show um, because there's also some really fucked up stuff that he experienced while he was being babysat. Um, so send in you a hug, buddy. Uh, and then this is a body shame survey filled out by uh, a woman who calls herself Celeste's Nature. And uh, one of the comments she has about the podcast is, take all the surveys, LOL. I, I, I assume she wants me to take all the surveys, which I've thought about doing, but I don't know if that would be... Um, uh, too self-indulgent or not. I always worry that I talk about myself too much on the podcast, even though it's my fucking podcast. But um, anyway, uh, from the body shame survey, what do you like or dislike about your body and why? Um, 
I dislike that I am not tall, super thin. Um, I, I have a large nose, no chin, and short legs. Should I go on? Question mark. LOL. I am always using physical appearance to judge my worth as a human, worthy of love since I was in grade school. Beauty mags did not help me as well as being in a society where skinny is the way to go. I never had cool clothes or the clothes I wanted as a kid and was made fun of a lot because of this, which has led to a kind of self-loathing. I've been practicing for over a year now, not wearing makeup, short hair, only owning one mirror and just buying thrift store clothes and using those extra minutes of time I spent worrying about how I looked to sleeping in. There's a part of me inside that I don't want anyone to know about because it's weird and gross and lame and people will hate me. It was so hard to be on the planet. Just doom, people-pleasing, dread, silent, invisible, just wailing, stuck in the grip of the obsession, derealization, depersonalization, the suicidal ideation. I was so embarrassed and so full of shame. If I don't get help and get what I need to get, you know, I did some horrible, horrible things. Then I'm not going to be here much longer. God, I wish I could go back and undo them, but I can't. So snipers would shoot in our sides. My father was a notorious pimp in Boston. I can't do this anymore. It was kind of like Scarface. You can change somebody's life just by listening. Through vulnerability, I don't know, it comes healing. It felt like I'd been holding a sword and shield, and I dropped them. And to this day, I have never had a better night's sleep. I started crying in a job interview saying, <laughs> and I was like, LA is hard, man. LA is so hard. And I, I didn't get that job. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here with Emma, uh, which is a pseudonym. Uh, you're visiting here in Ireland, as they pronounce it, <laughs> from, from the UK. Yeah. And uh, we spent a little bit of time together uh, getting to know each other, bouncing around mm -hmm. uh, Dublin. And uh, I said, let's do it. Let's, let's record. Uh, I think there's a lot of stuff in your story yeah and your past that would be interesting, interesting to talk about so what are what are some broad issues that broad uh, issues um so i have I, I sort of mentioned it yesterday when we went for coffee great coffee house by the way good find yeah. um and so i think i was just a very anxious child um but always put on this sort of persona of being very happy and smiley and um and then when I turned 16, uh, a lot of things sort of happened at once. Um, my brother moved to Australia for a year. Um, I moved to private school. So so the, the terms for schools in the UK are different to America. So private school is where you pay and public school is for free. So I went from being... That's, that's the same in the, oh, in the, the States, yes. Ah, okay, yes. fab. Um, so... Yeah, I'd been in free school my whole life and then I went to private school. My brother had left and so there was just suddenly a lot of focus on me. Um, I had to change. I'd, there's a term grebo. I don't know if you have it over there. Uh, so like real grungy, like dyed hair, um, listening to rock music and all of this kind of stuff. And I had to completely transform uh, to a, I had to cut my hair short because it was bright red and uh, go back to my natural color, wear suits to school. Mm. And uh, my brother wasn't there as sort of backup. And then I just had this horrible boyfriend that was just abusive in all matters of the term Mm -hmm. And um, it was really, really tough. And I was doing my A-levels, which are difficult anyway. And 
I, and, and that basically, I think genetically, my family are predisposed to have mental health issues. And I just think, you know, when you're 16, you're dealing with um, losing your virginity, you're under academic stress, all of this. And it was, and, and so then I had a very cyclical depression. It linked in um, to the season changes to a new school term and also with exams um, and then I chose to become an architect which takes seven years so I just protracted this pain <laughs> all throughout my 20s oh my god uh, <laughs> so yeah so and then it just became recurrent depressive disorder so describe the the first depressive episode that, that you recall experiencing um so I was 16 17 and um it was just bleak just everything there was no joy um i felt anxious constantly i wasn't sleeping so you know going three four five days without any sleep you just kind of enter this really bizarre um world where was the anxiety keeping you awake yeah yeah fear of fear of uh not doing well at school this horrible boyfriend you know letting my parents down because this school was really expensive um and and uh, my mum's a therapist and so she was doing everything she could to help me um but my dad was very anti medication or mm -hmm. really kind of admitting that his daughter was ill so there was this real kind of um clash between them of how they would sort of mm -hmm. look after me um, anyway, in the end, um, I did get some sleeping tablets, which helped. And then I took a gap year and it was then that I took antidepressants, which, to be perfectly honest, Paul, they saved my life multiple times throughout, you know, my 20s and into my 30s. Um, so, yeah, just a real I, I just I was just so suicidal when I was 16. And you just don't know, you know, at the time. Not, mental health wasn't really talked about. My mum was a therapist, so I knew about it, but she specialised in eating disorders. Mm. So it's very different to sort of teenage depression. I was just sort of delusional. Okay. It was, it was horrible. And I had these like... So in my back, when I'm a bit stressed, between my um, shoulder blades, like it was so tense that I kind of had these visions that I was growing wings, and it was just like completely bizarre my parents are very religious so I had all of that thrown in and then you know fooling around with my first boyfriend and losing my virginity it was just so I had this kind of like uh sex before marriage you know I'm gonna go to hell what, and, what religion um Anglican okay so Church of England um very but high high church um so as close to Catholicism without having a pope right as you can get um so yeah it was just i just really feel i just so wish that i could go back and just say you're going to be okay what do you what do you think 16 year old you would have said i think i would have just broken down and been like i just feel so kind of lost and alone and confused also about my sexuality because i was attracted to women but at that time, there was no one gay in the media, certainly not lesbians. There was just nothing. Mm -hmm. and, and you're 33? 33, okay. yeah. Um, and, I mean, it's come on leaps and bounds. It's wonderful now. And, you know, with same-sex marriage and equal rights and all of this stuff. I still a long way to go. But, um, so, yeah, it was just a really, really confusing time. Mm -hmm. And I think even if you don't have mental health issues, being a 16-year-old, it's bloody tough. Yes. Yeah. No matter what country you're yeah. in. Yeah. 
and and then we make we make our teenagers decide what they want to do for the rest of their life and make them do these crazy exams it's just bonkers talk about the body image uh, issues we talked a little bit at lunch yesterday about that and uh, if you're comfortable sharing about your mom Oh, my lovely mum. Yeah, it's it's very interesting. So she's um, she is a therapist and she came to that later on in her life. And um, and she's got a very she has a very tricky relationship with food herself. Uh, She only told me once that she has had a full blown eating disorder. I was probably about 12 or 13. And um, when she said it to you, she was speaking as if her eating disorder was in the past or that she was part in the past, okay. very much in the past. So she said, oh, you should probably know that I had bulimia. And I was like, OK. And it was it was it was this moment where I don't know if you had it with your parents, where they they they're just always up on this pedestal. They're like your superheroes. And mm-hmm. you think that they always tell the truth and they can mend everything. And then this kind of veil came down actually she's just human and in the one sense you should think well that's good but in another sense i was like but you've lied and you and then you know you sort of viewed i viewed her in a different way and she's got such a difficult relationship with food it's so disordered and um she's tiny and you just think she said that to you or you are speaking for yourself i'm speaking for myself okay that she she has this uh, she doesn't think that she's got a problem which is hilarious because she clearly does and uh can you be specific um she's just she's very controlled about what she eats she has tiny portions and i remember once when i was little um because you know you have your dinner plate and you have your side plate or your yeah smaller plate so she used to serve my dad, me and my brother on normal size plates and then she'd have a little plate and then one day she laid out a normal size plate and apparently I said to her, oh look mummy, you've got a plate the same size as us, you know, oh, so so even, so it's always been there, this kind of presence of this food and it's absolutely incredible that my brother and I sort of came off unscathed and not affected in, in that respect. I mean, he's a complete high he's a very intelligent guy complete high achiever winning at life hashtag winning at life mm-hmm. um you know married with kids and doing very well um and and for me it just came you know i'm 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 lucky in a way that my mental health has just stayed very much anxiety and depression it didn't kind of morph into anything else like an oh okay i or. for some reason i gleaned uh, from uh, lunch yesterday uh, I think I was m- making some joke about my belly. Oh, I spilled food on my shirt and oh, I was talking about my yeah, big yeah, gut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and no, you definitely. kind of said that uh, I, I wasn't the only one that yeah, was that hard that on, on themselves. But I don't know if that is, I don't know if that's linked to my mum. I think that's just from the kind of culture that we live in. You know, you're so, um, everything that you see on the TV or in magazines and stuff and on social media, God, to be a child now must be horrible. Um, so yeah body body image issues but i don't think it's related to my mum i think it's just um from myself that i just think i'm really like also one boy at school said that my bum wiggled when i walked now some may say well that's a compliment i did not take that as a compliment so i've just always got and i'm quite i've got quite a like a pear shape anyway and um and yes, so quite curvy. Uh, and, and also I think we, we touched on yesterday that, um, when I take, 
um, medications, certainly for mental health, they often make me a, a bit slimmer. And then when I come off them, hooray, I'm off my medication, but oh, hello, wait. So it's like a constant thing. I, it is getting easier as I get older, which is good. What is getting easier? The worrying so much about my weight and my appearance. So you, are you currently on or off meds? I am on the meds. I'm on something called vortioxetine, which um, is quite uh quite new in the uk i think it's only that's not the american name i can't brintelix i think it's called in america um so it's been going there for three years in a year here and it is by far the best medication i've been on um it's just wonderful it helps with the anxiety and the depression yeah and is it you know you've spoken about having a cyclical depression that Mm, like every two years years. uh have you experienced that two-year period with this med no no i'm like a year and a half (laughs) yeah but then do you know what it is paul is that i so previously i've had a relapse gone on medication got well come off the medication time ticks on and then I have a relapse. Whereas this time, I'm not taking that risk. I'm staying on these meds. Thank you very much. High fucking five. Yeah. <laughs> so many of us, myself included, just want to cling to that belief that we don't need don't meds. Don't need it, yeah. And I, I know. know so many people suffering. And I, I always like to say, what are the side effects of not being, not on, being meds? on No, honestly. And and make a, make a list. Yeah. Uh, for me... Getting not being able to get out of bed, mm. uh, being sad, um, withdrawing from people—that's yeah. a lot worse than occasional restless legs or gaining a few pounds yeah. or whatever it, yeah. it happens to be. Yeah, absolutely. But of course, there are also some meds that I've been on where the side effects were a nightmare oh and yeah. untenable. And but mm. the good news is there are so many different meds yeah, that you can is. you can try. And I feel that meds should be a last resort that we should try i completely agree you know unless someone is in crisis yeah no totally um because there are so many things that we can do and Mm. uh, which brings us to yoga how how have you found uh, yoga to to help to help me so i um it was about five years ago and uh i was having a relapse happy times and i was reading a magazine and it had an article about mindfulness um and i was going through we are we are um lucky in the uk that we've got the nhs uh but the mental health side of it is so completely overstretched people just are not getting the support they need you know it, it can take them months for months. A, an appointment and then they six get months. six appointments yeah, six maybe and that's it and and so for me um i'd done private counseling i've seen quite a few therapists over the years um but always um, CBT so you know you, you're in there you've got your set amount of time and then you're done um, and I was I was really keen to try this mindfulness course so I, I knew that if I went through um, the uh, the GP then I'd be referred to the mental health team and I had to jump through a few hoops so I did um, uh I did like a four week course about coping with anxiety and and then I had a one to one session and then I got to go on this eight week course for mindfulness and it was about halfway through um, and uh, we had a two hour class and then you were set homework for the week. Uh, so there we were doing what our 
teacher referred to as um, mindful movement, and I just loved it. It was it was wonderful. Can you describe what you thought and felt? Um, I thought. You know, it it was quite similar to the movements of Tai Chi. So I thought, oh, this is a bit, you know, sort of floaty, a bit airy-fairy. But the stillness that it gave me and... During it or afterwards? During, during and after. um, And the fact that through doing it, I felt very different about my body. And... um, there's there's a term I think it's called finding your flow when you do something and you're completely taken out of yourself so I get it also when I sketch or when I sing or something you know um and and I definitely found my flow which is ironic because there's also flow yoga but um so yeah so I went back the following week and um and the teacher was like so the what you've been doing this week is yoga and I was like I love this yoga (laughs) uh so that's when I started pursuing it I went to a few classes and before we go there, yeah. I'd like to know in more detail what it was, because for, for the person listening that has never tried it, yeah. I, I want course, to paint a picture yeah, yeah, yeah. as detailed yeah. as possible. No, um, uh, if, if you can recall what it felt like in your body, how mm. you felt about yourself or the world, and mm. if none of that applies, that's fine too. No, it totally but- does. It to- so, so the way that um, the classes are structured is you arrive and you have a few minutes at the start of class where you're sitting on the mat, bit of idle chit-chat, and then you have um, pranayama, which is uh, breathing exercises. So, um, and the breath is just so important. It's a real barometer of how you're feeling. Um, you know, if it's, if it's shallow um, and quick or if it's length, you know, long breaths and relaxed. Um, so that was really interesting. And you automatically, just within the first five minutes, your your brain, your um, parasympathetic nervous system is kicking in. So uh, your cortisol levels are dropping and... Um, your heartbeat's slowing. Your heartbeat's slowing. You know, you're finding yourself on the mat. The teacher will say things like, you know, let go of your day so far. Don't think about your to-do list for this evening or for the rest of the day. So here you are. This is time. Be grateful for, for taking time out of your day for yourself. So you do your pranayama. And, they, you- ne- and they never say, eventually we all die. Event- no. No, because a lot of people... Uh, yeah, that seems like a mistake. I think it might put them in the wrong mood, yes. potentially. Um, so, yes. Uh, then you do a meditation and sheer bliss, in my mind. Uh, and it's it, it can be any sort of meditation. You know, you're listening to sounds or you're doing a body scan or it's a visualization. Just a short one at the, min- at the beginning. And then you start doing your warm-up. So you're starting to unite breath with movement and you're subtly warming up your body and um, and it's just really nurturing, very gentle um, and you might be in a sort of more of a powerful class, so like an Ashtanga or something, um, in which case it's it's very kind of regimented and you know, mm-hmm. but you and you get quite a good workout. Or you might be doing something a little bit more softer, like a hatha or a yin. But basically, you then go into the more uh, so it's called asana, so the, the the practical movement side of yoga. And um, what's so interesting is because you're focusing on the teacher and your breath and your movement, what you're mm-hmm. how you're placing your body, you're just taken out of your worries. You're mm-hmm. not you're not thinking. Um, I don't know, 
about your body in any negative way and and what's wonderful about it is that it, it you can be any shape or size you can be any level of flexibility a lot of people say oh, i can't do yoga because i'm not flexible it doesn't matter mm-hmm. it really, if you can't touch your toes it absolutely doesn't matter so you do your practical side which releases endorphins and um you know you're getting a bit of a workout your heart rate is increasing you're getting oxygenated body uh, blood around your body and then you start the the cool down um so you do a couple of nice lengthening stretches you find yourself in shavasana which is um the corpse pose so you're just lying on your back with your palms up fully relaxed and um and some teachers give you a little massage with some nice oil um, or come and adjust you so that you're in like optimum optimum position to chill out and um, you might be given a blanket if it's a bit cold so it's really the lights go down it's very nourishing very nurturing is there warm milk warm milk lullabies yeah Mm. you know are you in a crib (laughs) <laughs> of course, yeah, just gently rocking. Or as you would call it, a pram. A pram, yes. yes. <laughs> um, and and then you do another guided meditation to, to conclude. And it's just wonderful. Then the teacher very gently kind of brings you around, brings you back to the room. You roll onto one side, you come to sit up. And then maybe you'll do a little closing om if you're that way inclined and and then you get up off your mat and genuinely it is transformative be as specific as possible you can go in there an absolute bag of nerves anxious worried stressed and it the the journey that you go through is it's like having a wonderful night's sleep or um I don't know. It's, it, or, having, or like, having gotten a massage or been yes, in a jacuzzi. Exactly the same. Spent time with good friends. Yes, seen your favorite friends, movie. Favorite movie. Watching a sunset. All of that. And it after is, you've laughed a lot. Laughed a lot. Exactly. And it's it is and genuinely, Paul, it's changed my life. It's absolutely changed my life. So I um I did it for five years as just you know in the community. Did some YouTube videos shout out to yoga with adrian mm-hmm. who's on youtube she's a texas yoga teacher and she's superb all accessible to all levels if you're a beginner if you want to hone a certain pose or if you're quite advanced and you want a really powerful flow she's your gal if you want to you know if any of the listeners fancy giving it a go mm-hmm. google um yoga with adrian or youtube her um and so i um I then started looking into becoming a yoga teacher because I was a lecturer for a couple of years. And, Lecturing uh, about architecture. Architecture, yeah, because I'm an architect. I don't know if we said that already. Uh, I th- yes, it took we you did. seven years. Oh, yeah, seven years. Bloody well, hell. Okay. Yeah, so I lectured for a couple of years and I absolutely loved it. The students were wonderful, but it wasn't, it wasn't because I was working four days in practice and two days effectively teaching with the prep and then delivery. It was a lot. Uh, So I left the university um, and I thought, well, I love teaching. I love yoga. I wonder if I could combine the two. And I did a foundation course and that was wonderful. And then um, I met my now best friend uh, through yoga and she'd started training doing these foundation courses she actually put me on to doing a foundation course and then we went to india together qualified we've now set up a little business so you've been certified to teach yep certified to teach fully insured um we've both probably got about 300 hours of training under our belts now which is really good 
um, and uh, we're like a dynamic duo. Uh, so we've both got day jobs. She's in banking. I'm in architecture. So we're quite an unusual pair. You won't see us, you know, on Instagram kind of mm-hmm. doing all sorts of handstands and shit because we've got day jobs. Um, so, uh, yeah, and it's just wonderful. And it really lends itself to my architectural job. Um, what's so interesting is that because you're using your body uh, and it's it's very strengthening, um, I now feel much safer on site, up scaffolding. Really? Yeah. Like going up and down the ladders, clambering around, all of that. And I, that was an unexpected bonus. And also just, you know, the fact that it helps with your mental health. Mm-hmm. Fab. Do you find socializing less uh, anxiety-ridden uh, from doing yoga? I just love socializing anyway, Paul. That's never been an issue. Oh, okay. Yeah. So uh, how would the anxiety present itself when it was at its worst? Catastrophizing? Um, catastrophizing. So it's mostly about your life, not about interactions with people no, no, and no, what they think no, of you. No, I mean, a little bit of what people think of me, but it was very much to do with my academic performance uh, being a bad daughter, letting my family down. How how so? Being a bad daughter. Well, I don't know. I was somewhat, not really a black sheep, but maybe slightly grey. I wasn't pearly mm. white, if you know what I mean. My poor parents, they have been Are through they, the ring. They're, they're pretty conservative. You said they're pretty yeah. religious. Yeah, so yeah, pretty religious. Was the red hair a... Uh... No, my, no, they were, they were, they are so, they're, they're like, sometimes they're wonderful and other times they're just, you're like, where did that come from? So there's no, if they were fully conservative all the time, you'd know where you stand, but right. it changes. I see. Uh, which is tricky. Can, can you give uh, two examples of um, where they're very permissive and progressive and then where it feels like the opposite to you? Yeah. Um, so, so when I basically when I came out to them, so I so I fell in love with a woman. Well, I'd always fancied girls and boys, to be perfectly honest, um, and then went to university uh, uh, and got to it was really nice so so i mentioned this horrible boyfriend that i'd had and i lost my virginity yeah lost my virginity too and when i went to uni and i started sleeping with girls it was like i was reclaiming that kind of new experience again Mm. but i was older i was in control and it was just it was actually really liberating um and so i sort of tried to like dance around the idea of gayness around my family and you know all of this and oh my dad's got a gay cousin how did he feel about that la 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 and ended up telling my mum you know because uh, I started talking about my ex oh, I was dropping her name in conversation this conversation that I'm like they, she keeps talking about what's going on you know and I'd be like going to Brighton Pride and you go to the gay clubs and all of this so there were definite hints and uh, and then you sort of I told them about it and on the one hand mum was great but then on the other hand, she'll come up with things like, well, you've never acted gay. And I mean, that's not a very good example. I'm trying to think of, of where... You know, it's not a bad example because it, it's a pretty, uh, I don't know if ignorant is too strong of a word, but it's a pretty, um, it, it is the view of someone who has not had a lot of experience with people that are, are queer or are out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, that was all fun again. And my dad, he really struggled with it. And it's it's really, to be perfectly honest, through architecture that we now have the relationship that we do, because he was he was like another tutor to me while I was studying. I'd always come back home when I had a deadline, 
and he'd help with me with my model making. We'd visit buildings together. And it was through that kind of solidarity that we then found each other again, which is wonderful. And and to be honest, he's my absolute hero. I adore him. And did he come around? Yeah, he did. He did. He was wonderful. He was so good that because I then went on to have a civil partnership. And um, and I remember overhearing him have a conversation with someone and, and you know, it was someone very fusty. I was like, what? Two women getting married? What's that all about? And my dad was like, well, it's exactly like a normal wedding, but there's two girls. End of. Yes. It was a wonderful celebration. And I was like, well done, Dad. Yes. So, no, they they both came around because I think they knew that if they pushed me away, they'd lose, they'd lose that yeah. connection. So they were very much on board. You know, that, that to me is real love, is mm. to love someone when it is personally difficult. Yeah. No matter whether it's coming from a place of ignorance or not, it's still their struggle. And the fact that they chose you over their discomfort yeah, yeah. is so huge. Yeah. And, you know, they're very religious as well. Right. So they had to deal with that. That's not easy. Yeah. And... Any any snapshots from childhood or adolescence? I just love stories. Any any story that you'd like to share about a struggle or a beautiful epiphany or something that informed you about the world or yourself or um, something that was traumatizing? Yeah. I mean, you know, we haven't talk, talked about the, the boyfriend the who boyfriend. was an asshole. Oh, my God. Oh, Paul. That poor 16-year-old, yeah, he was just... He you, was poor 16? Me, poor me, yes. from back yes. in the day. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, Christ, he... Um, Is he your age? Yeah, my age. We met on a night out in a pub, and... Um, Drinking age 16? Yeah, I was drinking at 14. It was, okay. it was very... Loose. Very loose back in the day. You didn't really need ID... Uh, you'd get your oldest looking friend to go to the pub, uh, to the corner shop to get a bottle of vodka and he'd, a bottle of lemonade. He'd pour out half the lemonade, pour the vodka in, sorted. Yes. Um, and, uh, and also like getting into nightclubs, you just have one friend that looks older and then she'd vouch for the younger looking people and you're in. It's, mm. it's so different now. Um, so yeah, we met on a night out and we went for coffee at the weekend and he seemed sort of all right. He was, a nice enough chap and I, I just don't really know why I hung around maybe it was because he was a bit of a bad boy you know so girls are often attracted and women are often attracted to someone that was a bit unusual and he was so unusual so he he lived with his mum on a council estate and which which is uh, what uh, Americans would call a project yeah perfect mm-hmm. yeah exactly that and there's me in a private school with very successful parents and this is the making of a mediocre pg movie isn't it just star-crossed lovers with a wonderful soundtrack yeah totally disney all over um and uh so yeah there we were and he was the most manipulative horrible calculating person i have ever met give me some stories so i would I worked in a pub as well, just washing up, because you have to be you have to be eighteen to serve behind the bar, but you can be sixteen to work in the kitchen. So I was washing up, 
and didn't really earn much money, two pounds fifty an hour or something. And he didn't somehow he'd end up getting all of my money and um he was very verbally abusive. He said that I was really stupid. He would get oh my god, I just had a sudden memory. So he was doing English, as was I, at school for A levels, and he would get me to write essays that he would then mark. Like what the fuck is that? What? Yeah. You would write essays I'd just write for essays him. For him and he would mark them. That's weird. I completely forgotten about that. Just suddenly suddenly I remembered. Why do you think you um Why did I fe- do- fell under that? I that don't spell? Know. I literally got no idea. So anyway, we he was very to begin with, um you know, it was it was that the sex was completely normal. He'd already lost his virginity. I lost mine. Absolutely fine. But then it became a kind of weapon and a way to control me. And obviously, I'm sure everyone remembers this when you're living at your parents' house and you're trying to have a little quickie. And mm-hmm. you know, they've gone out for half an hour. Let's nip upstairs. All of this. So that was all there. And I, God, I just remember feeling sick in my stomach when my parents were in and we were fooling around. Blech, horrible. Um, and then why, we, why were you feeling uh, sick to your stomach? Be- because of being with him or yeah, because your be- parents were there? or a combination of the, of the okay. two. So then we started doing all sorts of strange things and, you know, having sex in weird places and at, like, at his behest. At his behest. Graveyards, swimming pools, all of this strange stuff. What, what do you think... Um, was the payoff for him your discomfort probably probably because he loves that anyway he then became very rude about how i dressed um by the way how did you do on the essays terribly of course he marked me badly (laughs) i mean isn't that completely bonkers yes Yes. I mean, the fact that he would give you a hundred. <laughs> yeah. A star. And then he loved me. <laughs> yes. Oh, dear. Uh, so, yes, he then became very verbally abusive, uh, commenting about how I dressed, you know, that I'd look like a slut. And I really, I really was never, you know, dressed in any way too provocative, too provocatively. Um, and and then he started getting very physically abusive. So he'd sort of hit me, throw things at me, and then we broke up, which was uh, you broke up. With I him. broke up with him, and it was a very wise idea. And it was about the same time when that we were getting our exam results. So we were all you know party, 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 out and about. We were in a nightclub, and he was there, and he picked up this massive metal chair and threw it at me picked up two bottles, threw them at me. So then I left the club. Then he chased after me, threw his mobile phone at me, shouting all these things under the sun. Oh, completely bonkers. Um, So anyway, but he still had this spell over me. We both had this gap year. Get this. So I went to, uh, so (laughs) we call it a gap year because like, you know, we're so posh. Like we're going to go to Africa and like, I'm going to go and save the children on my (laughs) gap year. So I was on my gap year and, uh, and I went to Africa, completely stereotypical. um, And I was going to go to um, Malawi. And then he went with the same organization and went to the neighboring country, organized to go. So then I, the, I had to tell the company about this. And because um, he sort of sent me this text message to say, guess he's going to be in the neighboring country. And they do all the training together because they've got clusters of uh, countries in the east and in the west. Mm-hmm. Or the opposite way with my hands. I'm waving my hands. Um, and 
so then I had to move to the other side of the country. I ended up going to Uganda, which was more of like a party place because they had gorilla trekking and whitewater rafting, bungee jumping, all available. Oh, so actually, I mean, the gorillas love to party. They love to party. Yes. Full moon parties all the way. Mm. So anyway, so I moved. That was very strange. And then somehow he ended up coming over to Kenya, which is where we flew in and out of the day that I was there. I was just completely bonkers. Then and when I was back in the UK, he gets a job in the same pub as me. And you're just like, what the fuck is going on here? It's yeah, just that's so not, weird. That, that can't all be coincidence. No, yes. no, no, yes. no. He's starting to follow me. He he would text my friends to find out where I was and turn up. Very strange. So I then did a tour of Europe. It was wonderful. Went off to uni. Completely lost contact with him. All good. Then Facebook comes along. And it's all, and it starts out all at universities. So, you know, everyone was on there. He befriends me. Fine. We sort of talk every now and then. Absolutely fine. At this point, I now have a girlfriend and very happy. Uh, and we get engaged, as does he. He also gets engaged. So stupid me thinks, oh no, of course we can both meet up back home. Of course we can go for a nice drink and just wish each other well. Toast to our past is our past behind us. We're both going to get married, go off in very separate different directions. Well, guess what he'd been doing in his time while he was at university? He switched majors and was then doing uh, theology and he'd become a Christian. And here I was, a gay, you know, in a lesbian relationship. No wonder he wanted to meet you. Yeah, because he wanted to try and convert me. He said I was going to hell. He said that I need to end my relationship because God isn't happy about it. He then was your partner there as well. No. Okay. No. Uh, he then was sending me sermons all about homosexuality and religion. I mean, this guy. So what? When did you? Did you have you ever cut contact with? Yeah. Him? No. Completely. Completely. Natalie. Because it was. I then had a cataclysmic relapse on the back of this, like literally. Of, of the d depression. My and depression, yeah, no, no. I, um, I, and, and, and before we go to that, yeah. did you say anything to him when he was trying to convert you? Yeah, I did. I said stuff like, okay, if God is love, why would God want me to end a relationship that is making two people very happy? End the relationship, then two people are very unhappy. You know, I'm still going to fancy girls, regardless of if I'm yes. with someone or not. And he was like, yeah, but it's all about the act. And he'd quote, there's some quote in the Bible about uh, something about men. You know, they shouldn't, if you can think the, th think the thought, but not do the act, then mm. that's okay. I love people that cherry pick I out know. of the Bible. I you know. know. Let's l look over the, the, the part about uh, having slaves and stoning, yeah, stoning, stoning people. people to death. Yeah, that's yes. fine. Yes. You can't talk to a woman when she's on her period and all of this. Yeah. No, completely bonkers. Um, so, yeah. It would yeah. have been interesting if you had said to him, I think it makes you unhappy. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So, so, no. So, I had this cataclysmic um, relapse, the worst one that I've ever had, you know, psychiatrist. But I, I, I pro possibly should have been sectioned, but my mum intervened. She moved in with me. Um, and... Oh God, I was ill. It was it was it was probably the darkest time of my life, actually. Can you share any details? Um, yeah, I remember the way that I tried to describe it was that I had this. There was a picture of my life, and I could see it, and it looked lovely, but I just felt rotten. I felt again very stupid. I was struggling. I was in my fifth year of university at this point, 
Um, so it's sort of at master's level. Mm. And, um, and I just felt rotten. I felt dirty. Um, I felt useless, stupid. I genuinely believed, hand on my heart, that the world would be a better place if I wasn't in it. And and it's so it's so sad because when you're so depressed and when you're so suicidal, you actually believe that by you not being there will solve things. No, it doesn't. It just leaves a whole host of people completely distraught and very guilty because they couldn't help that person. So um, I tried to take my life. Thank God it didn't work. Um, and yeah, hosp- after after A and E, I go, and my partner uh, was just distraught, and it was it was horrible. It was a dark, dark time, and and and. But in a way, I think I needed to get there. I needed to be at that point. You know, they say you need to hit rock bottom. That was my absolute rock bottom, and it took my mum. Oh bless her. She, you know, when I think back to what she did, and. I remember like when I was thanking her, I was like, you gave me life in the first place and then you saved my life. And she she was incredible. She completely put her clinic on hold. She moved in with me. She probably lived with me for about two months and um, just taught me how to how to live again. And it was, yeah, incredible. Yeah. crazy man your your um the shit that you've been through and that you've come out the other side um obviously you still have to do things to to manage yeah. it but but that you have actively sought tools mm. and you've accepted that help comes in a form that you weren't crazy about yeah taking meds yeah and it, it's such a great example of um if we just let go and do you feel like hitting the rock bottom was a way of somebody prying your fingers off your idea of um kind of what uh how everything should be, should be. yeah totally totally and uh and it's weird but you know what's so fascinating is is having tried to end my life i have absolutely no fear of death like what do you think that's about i've no idea i think because i think because in a way i'm sort of on like i feel so lucky to still be alive and you're in the bonus round totally so anything that happens now i mean my current i sort of i've touched on this in emails to you for the current thing that my partner and I, so I've now switched teams. Mm-hmm. I'm now with a lovely boy, and uh, so you got divorced. I got oh yeah, oh yeah, I forgot about that bit. Yes, I did. Uh, it was called a dissolvement with mm-hmm. a civil partnership. So, um, so my partner and I, we got married. We were quite young. I was 25. She was 23. And um, the plan was in the UK, if you've got, if you, if you're in a civil partnership and you have a child, one of you bears a child, then both mothers can be on the birth certificate. So that was one of the reasons that we got hitched. And the plan was always to have children. Mm-hmm. Um, she sort of sometimes she blew hot and cold about it, but you know we did stuff like because we were we met at university, so we'd go to the library, we'd research the psychology on same-sex parents. Mm-hmm. You know, we both wanted to have careers, so we looked into the impact of having you know a child being in nursery from a very young age. Actually, it's quite good for them. Obviously, you don't want to just abandon them, of mm-hmm. course not. But you know, it's good for their social skills and all of this. 
So, three months in to the to the marriage, I mean, I, to be perfectly honest, Paul, I, there was a shift on the honeymoon. There was a definite, she took a step back. She from, pulled away. She pulled away, for sure. And then three months in... How, how did you experience that? Um, so, she was, she just withdrew from me you know the kind of light-hearted fun that we had was sort of gone and she was much more concerned about her own image um i love a nap and so i'd go off and have a nap and she'd go and play computer games she loves computer games fine but she just kind of put, put what she wanted to do as more of a priority than than us you know anyway so we come back from honeymoon and uh, i lose my job it was in the recession, so I was nearly finished with my training, but you need to have a job to do your final bit. You need to work and study. And uh, I was made redundant. There was very limited work. Uh, I was a waitress and a cleaner. And my dad, who is also an architect, said, come on, move back home, uh, work in my firm, and you can qualify. And I resisted it and resisted it. And then I was cleaning the floor. I said to myself, come on now, you have got two degrees get your ass back home, get yourself qualified. So my partner and I made the decision. I was going to, I was going to try and commute because we were, we lived about three hours away. Um, but that just what, you know, we were newly married. You kind of, you want to, you want to take your unit with you. So we both moved up there. And, uh, and then as we were, cause I had a house, I had a house uh, in where I was studying. So we sold it and we were moving up. And as, as we were doing the house up to sell it, she just completely changed her mind. She was like, absolutely don't want children, never wanted them. I don't know what you're talking about. What do you mean when we have kids, we'll do X, Y, Z? I was like, what? She was like, no, I don't want them. And I sort of thought, well, that's quite a big, that's quite a big deal. Now, at the same time, so we had, we had a relocation, which she wasn't pleased with. She then started talking to her ex that was very much still in love with her, who on her on our wedding day, put as her status, don't marry her, fuck me. Okay, that's not subtle. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so, yeah, so they got back in touch and, and I was trying, so we then relocated and I was trying really hard to forge a life for us, you know, making friends, all of this. She didn't want any of it. She didn't want to go out. She didn't want to make friends. She started spending more and more time where we live, where we had lived previously, spending more and more time with her ex. And to be perfectly honest, I think she just decided that she didn't want to be married and she found something that she knew that I couldn't compromise on. Mm. And we had therapy. You know, I thought that there might have been something wrong with me because I wanted children so much. And, you know, it sort of took my friends to say, actually, wanting children's kind of as kind of a natural thing. It's not really something that you can control. And I was saying to my dad, I think I need therapy because I really want children. And my dad was like, I think you need couples counseling yeah. because you want different things so we went to therapy i mean i was kind of hoping that the therapist would turn to me and say no nope, you guys need to break up but anyway it ended up being my decision so the marriage ended and um and that was very tough and uh she is now remarried and will probably have children but that's cool i'm yeah. kind of i'm very happy for her uh, it, it just wasn't meant to be and actually so the story with with my partner now is hilarious so um it, and my ex was quite controlling so she didn't want me talking to anybody about it she didn't want me texting anyone talking to any friends talking to my parents about the issues that we were having so anyway I didn't know if if, if Adam knew 
and uh, and it was the middle of the night and I'd seen that he'd been online so I sent him a text a text saying hi I could really do with being cheered up and I see you're online so you're awake is there any chance we could just you know have a chat he was like I've got a bucket load of cheer up what's going on and I said I'm not sure if you're aware but um, my partner and I we're, we're breaking up and it's really tough he was like yep uh, I, I had heard on the grapevine and at least I, I've now got the opportunity to slip you one which means sleep with you oh okay which is hilarious <laughs> and uh, and it turns out that he'd actually had a crush on me for years really and we had this we had this really cheeky kind of innuendo banter going on mm-hmm. so there was always that and uh, and yeah basically um we met up and i literally fell in love just he's the most incredible person that you would ever have the pleasure of meeting. He is so human. And you know, sometimes when you're having an issue, you go to your partner and you want them to kind of be on your side. Mm-hmm. He will always see both sides of the coin. And he is so loving. He he loves me. I've, I've experienced un- unconditional love from my parents. I'm very blessed to have had that. But to have it from a partner. Yeah, that's really it's incredible it's life-changing and and here i am now you know off i go to india for five weeks see you later i'm gonna qualify as a yoga teacher okay darling have a lovely time wow and oh i'm gonna go to i'm gonna go to ireland to meet a chap who i listen to (laughs) on a podcast all right darling have a lovely time you know he's just i rang him up about doing the podcast fully supportive whatever decision you make you go for it wow it's it's wonderful and how long have you been together uh, six years next month. Oh, that's fantastic! Yeah. Incredible. And you guys live together. We live together. We are cohabiting partners, nice. and uh, and he popped the question in December, and so we're getting married next year, which wow. is just wonderful. And I can't wait to be his wife. Wow! I'm just so looking forward to it. And we we currently, oh, I current. I think your ex boyfriend should give you away. I think he should. He should marry us. Yes, and I think your ex wife should do the ceremony. Yeah, completely. Yes, and completely. all four of you walk up the yeah, aisle together. Together, but just it's it's you're you can't quite quite fit. fit. Yes. So it's a kind of shoulder squeeze. As awkward as the yeah. whole thing has been Healthy. all along, really, just yeah. in a two minute sequence. I would really enjoy that. I think yes. I think that would be a ticketed event. <laughs> People would pay. Oh, Lord. Um, so so now my current struggle, which I have emailed you about, is infertility. Mm-hmm. And it's heartbreaking. It's just so tough. So there I was. And I remember when, when I fell in love with my ex-wife. And I remember thinking to myself, this might mean, you know, if I'm in a single sex relationship, it might mean that I, I'm not a mother. We, we found out, actually, there's these things called sperm donors or you can adopt. You know, mm-hmm. there's all sorts of ways. So fab, I'm going to be a mum. Then my ex-wife doesn't want to be a mother. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to end this relationship. Um, I looked into adopting on my own. Absolutely fine. Fab. I fall in love with a guy. Well, what do you got? He's got baby making stuff in his pants. Wonderful. We can, you know, this is great. And so four years ago, we made the decision. um, He's a bit older than me. He turns 40 this year. So yeah, four years ago, we made the decision to start trying for a baby. And it was very exciting. And it didn't didn't work out didn't work out didn't work out so after two years we went to see a fertility doctor and uh, turns out uh, oh my god let me tell you the story so we turn up for our consultation Adam's had his test we go in it was a male consultant there's a male uh, trainee doctor and he says is it okay if he sits in for the consultation I was like absolutely fine 
And uh, and he goes right, okay, yeah, uh, yeah. We've got your your test results, and uh, and uh, I'm very pleased to say that you're. Uh, so they, I think they go up to like three three million sperms per mm. drop of semen or something, and they were like, you've got so many that it's off the chart. We can't even count them. There's so many, and these three guys were like, mm-hmm, <laughs> giving each other like a little like manly pat on the back, like yeah. nodding, and I was like, all right, guys. This isn't yes. like a pissing contest. <laughs> so anyway, Adam's got super spunk, which is wonderful for him. I unfortunately have some issues with my eggs. Now, it could be linked to my mental health, my issues mm. that I've had, because I've had so many recurrent bouts of depression. So that's a shitter. And, um, and, and is that something that you were informed of or is no, this just kind no, of your it's, feeling it's it's not just my feeling it is it's definitely so i've got a psychiatrist and i've got this uh, fertility consultant and they both think that it could absolutely have had contributing factors which is a complete shitter now throw into the mix that if i want to adopt they'll obviously go through my medical record mm-hmm. and they'll see oh mental health hurrah so that is a potential stumbling block um and it's really tough. And we're going through IVF at the moment. We've had one round that wasn't successful. And at the end of this month, we go for round two. And it's a complete head fuck. I bet. I bet. We've done a couple of episodes yeah. with, with women that have struggled. Uh, Cheryl Klein was a, a, a good episode. And she talked about that struggle and how mm. uh, as much as she intellectually knew it was there is nothing wrong with her as a person. She mm. felt like a failure as a woman. Oh, completely, completely. That is, I, like, I genuinely don't know. If I can't bear a child, I don't, I, I literally have no idea how I'll cope with that. Because I'm, I'm very, I'm a real feminist. I'm very, I'm quite a confident, strong, I like to think I'm a strong person. But I think that might break me. Why? Because... Because it's something that I know that I've always wanted, I, and I and and now being a mother, being a mother, it doesn't have to. I don't have to have had my own child. I'm fully. I felt so much love for other children that adopting is cool. Like I'm really down with that. But I think because of the cyclical um, hormones that women have, you know, every month with mm-hmm. with the bleeding and the ovulating and la 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 la. I think probably every month I will at some point feel I wish I could have had my own baby, and mm. and you know been pregnant and given birth and and all of this and I think that and I I, I really think that that will stick with me you know I'll be I, I would love to adopt I think Adam and I would make fabulous adoptive parents especially as I said because he's so bloody lovely and just mm-hmm. grounded and a really positive influence in the world he's one of the good guys but I think I think maybe maybe with time actually it will ease up yeah. you know and when I get past a stage where I would have been able to have children maybe that will go yeah. you know when you don't get periods and stuff but it's um, it's a head fuck and also like Christ I was at a uh, barbecue the other day and there was this pregnant woman she was eating a prawn I lost my shit I had to take myself away just to have a little cry yeah. I was like if I was pregnant and it's complete like it's her body it's her bump she can do whatever she likes if she wants to eat a prawn let the woman eat a prawn but the irrational pi- part of my brain was like I would if I was pregnant I would never eat a prawn it's just yes. ridiculous you turn into a complete nonsensical human being yeah it's like emotions don't always make sense no. it's it's so frustrating but the feeling yeah. of it is so intense sometimes so intense. yeah it's yeah um Anything else you'd like to share before we uh, wrap up? 
no, just I'd just like to just thank you for having me and for being who you are and doing what you do. You're just such an incredible inspiration. And I must say, like, thank you also to the other people that have been on your podcast. Yes. Because um, I've been listening for five years and I've had a couple of relapses in that time and it's just been such a source of comfort. So, um, oh, yeah, I've just the community that you've created, you should just be so proud. Wow. Someday I will. <laughs> One day. You're working on it. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Many thanks to uh, to Emma. Um, I'm always amazed when people share that they've been listening for multiple years to the podcast because I just always assume that people are going to either get tired of the subject matter of the podcast or get tired of me. So it always kind of surprises me. Kind of like that surprise when somebody knows your last name and you're like, wow, I, somebody sees me. I'm not invisible. It's so weird. It's so weird. Uh, I want to tell you guys about Casper. It is a sleep brand that continues to revolutionize its line of products to create an exceptionally comfortable sleep experience one night at a time. They have three mattress models, the original Casper, the Wave, and the Essential. And Casper mattresses are perfectly designed to soothe and cradle your natural geometry. Plus, they have a breathable design, uh, which helps you sleep cool. That's a hugely important thing. It regulates your body uh, temperature throughout the, uh, the night. And here's the really cool part. It's delivered right to your door. I don't know how they do it, but it is uh, in a box that you can just drag into your living room or the bedroom. You open it up, and it just expands. And it's, it's just awesome. Uh, I love it. I've slept on one, and... Uh, it's it's comfortable, and uh, I think you'd be really happy with it. So you can uh, get one and try their 100-night risk-free sleep-on-it trial. And if you think about it, you spend a third of your life sleeping, you know, actually for us and uh, versus uh, regular folk, we probably spend half our lives. Maybe I should just speak for myself, but anyway, um, to get 50 bucks towards select mattresses, Go to casper.com slash mental and use uh, the word mental at checkout. That's casper.com slash mental and also use the offer code mental for $50 off your mattress purchase. Terms and conditions do apply. I uh, want to also give a shout out to Care Of. Um, for those of you that aren't familiar with Care Of, it's a monthly uh, subscription vitamin service, and they deliver completely personalized vitamin and supplement packs right to your door. Uh, I've used it. Uh, it's super simple. You go online, you take a five-minute quiz that asks you some questions about your health, what your health goals are, your lifestyle, etc., and then they will uh, design... Uh, a regimen of vitamins or supplements that will work for you. They deliver them right to your door in little daily packets so you can grab them and be on the go. You know, the nice thing is you don't have to open five separate bottles of uh, vitamins to uh, get your little packet pills together every day. And uh, you can modify your monthly subscription box um, at any time. Uh, it's pretty cool. So go check it out uh, for 25% off your first month of personalized care of vitamins. Visit TakeCareOf.com and enter mental. That's TakeCareOf.com and enter mental for 25% off your first month of personalized care of vitamins. 
Uh, and I want to give some love to Calm. If you guys have never heard of Calm, it is a really popular uh, sleep meditation and relaxation app. Uh, it was named Apple's 2017 app of the year. And if you check it out, uh, you'll realize why. It is so uh, well thought out and um, it's just such a complete approach to de-stressing your life. Uh, they have guided meditations on anxiety, stress, uh, focus, relationships, uh, brand new meditation each day called the Daily Calm. And the part that I think is really cool, too, is uh, the sleep stories. Uh, they're like bedtime stories for uh, for grown-ups. And I listened to one the other night, and it was uh, they have great narrators reading them. And it was Stephen Fry. Who, if you don't know him, he's this English guy, and he's actually a big proponent of uh, mental health, and he has the most soothing voice, and he reads a story about a field of lavender in France that had me so calm, I felt like I was just moving in and out of uh, consciousness, and... Um, they have tons of different stories, so check it out. There's a whole bunch of other stuff I'm not even mentioning, but go to calm.com slash mental, and you can get 25% off a Calm premium subscription, which includes hundreds of hours of premium programs. Um, I'm a big fan of meditation, so I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get on my soapbox anymore about it, but meditation has changed my life. So for a limited time, Mental Illness Happy Hour listeners can get 25% off a Calm subscription Calm premium subscription at calm.com. Slow down, Paul. I need to go do the app right now. Calm.com slash mental. It includes unlimited access to all of Calm's amazing content. Get started today at calm.com slash mental. One more time, calm.com slash mental. All right, let's do some surveys. Um... This one, it's a body shame survey. Oops, sorry. Uh, it's filled out by a woman who calls herself Diet Pro Diet Woes. And she writes, let me preface this with, I have never been fat. I have never been naturally skinny, but I have never been, had an unhealthy uh, body mass index. So I was put on my first diet at the age of five. Let's let that sink in for a minute. She was put on her first diet at five. What kind of a chance does a kid have in having health esteem, healthy self-esteem when you are put on a diet at five? Uh, continuing, I remember being summoned to the scale weekly. Being weighed by my mother resulted in either a scolding for gaining or a scolding for not losing enough. Well, <laughs> at least your mom was consistent. Uh, my mom never defined me as fat. Instead, husky or big-boned were uh, her adjectives of choice. By the age of eight, I remember standing in front of the mirror screaming and crying because I had so much hate for my body. This is when I began self-harming. I was so ashamed. I would never be pretty. Now, 20 years later, I still hate my body. Anorexia didn't make me happy. Bulimia didn't make me happy. Binge eating didn't make me happy. What's a gal to do? Dot, dot, dot. Well, I would start with not listening to your fucking mom and setting some boundaries with her if you haven't already. Um, one of the things that I 
have experienced is uh, growth from cutting toxic people out of my life, um, or at least setting boundaries with them or creating some type of distance, keeping keeping them at arm's length. Um, this is an awful moment, and thank you for sharing that, by the way. Uh, filled out by a, I'm not sure if it's a man or woman, but uh, they call themselves uh, Dances with Foxes, and they write, uh, my daughter is 10 now and has noticed that I am not always myself and asked me what was going on. So I explained that I had anxiety and depression. Confused, she asked me to elaborate. The best analogy I could come up with was using characters from the Disney slash Pixar movie Inside Out. I explained, it's like fear and sadness tied up and gagged Joy and threw her into a closet in a hostile takeover. Despite the dark image, we laughed about it for what felt like hours. And then Child Protective Services came in. Uh, that, thank you for sharing that. I don't, I, I don't know if that is an awesome thing or if that is um, putting too much on a kid at too young, but my hunch is that that is a healthy thing as long as the kid knows it's not up to them to uh, you know, influence your mood. I'm not a therapist. <laughs> for those of you that are waiting for it, but I did cook chicken on basic cable for 16 years, and I told dick jokes around the country, and some of them uh, involved me uh, actually miming really hacky things. So I think I know what I'm talking about. Uh, this is another survey by uh, Looney Tunes, who was the guy that filled out uh, a survey uh, I read before the interview. He was the one about uh, feeling shame because he had taunted a, a kid that came out as gay uh, when they were in, in grade school. Uh, and this is from the Babysitter Survey. And he writes, When I was a young boy, uh, around 8 or 10 years old, a female family friend uh, in her mid-40s would watch se several children in the neighborhood. Many of these events happened in the car or at her house. Um, the woman's eldest daughter, who was around uh, between 12 and 14, was instructed to take her younger sister, who was one or two years old, place her on my lap and grind her back and forth, simulating sex. There were other children present, and they were all girls. I tried not to get an erection, but I couldn't help it. After what was deemed to be, too, uh, to be long enough, they all always asked the same thing. Was it good for you? And laugh and joke about how the baby was my girlfriend. That is so fucked up. Um, did you tell anyone? Did you think it was normal? Do you believe it has had any effect on you? I did not think it was normal. However, I always felt it was my fault because I was the boy and they were girls. I was raised thinking boys wanted sex and girls were chaste. So if something bad happened, it was the boy's fault, always. Through therapy, I've come to realize that a lot of my anger, rage, and disdain for all females, regardless of age, is from this abuse. I told my mom I didn't want to go over there anymore, but never gave a reason, and without a good reason, I was not allowed to abstain from her care. I was too weak to say to my mom that they made me simulate sex with a baby, and it makes me feel uncomfortable. I begrudgingly told my therapist about it in my mid-twenties, fully expecting to be hauled off to prison for being a sick fuck. 
Isn't that amazing how our brain can warp our abuse into us taking responsibility for something that wasn't uh, our fault, especially as, as, as children? And um, that is the, the thing that is so confusing for boys, I think, is because sometimes, you know, there is an erection and it is it adds so much shame Um but I know that for for females as well, uh, you know, there can be uh, excitement, even though your soul is screaming out, I don't want this. This is fucked up. Um, remembering these things, what feelings come up? Sadness, loneliness, uh, empty and cold. Uh, do you feel damage was done? Uh, damage was done. Um, thank you for sharing that. And um, I think it's so important for society to begin, you know, as, be, as we move further towards equality, it's so good for us to understand both the good things and the negative things about all genders to see that we are all so much more alike than we think we are, both in good ways and bad ways, because then not only can we elevate each other in in the ways that are healthy, but we can also dispel any myths that keep things stuck in the shadow because of our preconceived uh, stereotypes about what one gender can or or can't do. Um, So thank you for sharing that. Uh, This is a body shame survey filled out by a gender-fluid person uh, who calls themselves uh, Bat in the Belfry. And they write, "Um, I hate that it's rebelling against what doctors are telling me to do to it. I hate that it's in pain and can't lose the weight that my doctor insists on. I separate my body from me because it's very hard for us to be friends right now. Boy, do I agree to that statement. Making friends with your body is one of the most difficult things in life. Uh, Sometimes we agree on activities and stamina, but days like today, because I overexerted yesterday, it holds me prisoner at home and prevents me from doing things I need to do. I have a suite of autoimmune diseases that make me and the body tired in different ways. I'm working on finding a peace with it, but today is not that day. I picked that that nickname because myself feels like it's perched in a crumbling tower, like a bat in the rafters of an old church steeple. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. It's funny, it's so hard to appreciate our, appreciate our health and sometimes the only window that we really do it is when we come right out of a sickness or an injury. Um, this is the same survey. This is filled out by a guy who calls himself not taking it well again. And he writes, my hair. I'm 29 years old. I began losing my hair at the age of 17. In my 20s, I've become increasingly repulsed by the face looking back at me in the mirror to the point where now I find it hard to leave the house. I don't want anyone to see me because this body I'm trapped in is not who I am. I'd rather have no friends than have them see me like this. It feels so uncomfortable in my skin. It's akin to being out in public with some item of clothing that feels itchy or painful. You can carry on with your day, but the whole time you are longing to get home and rip it off. My version of that is going home alone and closing the door behind me. When no one is looking at me, I can be who I am in my head and not what I look like. 
Having very jokingly brought it up in conversation recently, my friend said to me, but you look like you. It floored me. The realization that being the bald guy is so much who I am to people now that they don't even notice. That was too much to handle. It's only me that knows the random fork in my life that was forced upon me in my late teens. It's only me that knows who I would have been had this not happened. It's only me who remembers who I was. It's only me who knows how it changed me and how it changed how the world treats me. Going bald is nothing compared to the things you read out on your podcast, but somehow the triviality of it makes it all seem worse. Like I was, if I, like I was in a room with a hundred people and the universe decided, hmm, I'll have you, you, and you premature baldness for the three of you. The other 97 in the room then don't turn to me and say, I'm sorry. They do not go away and have conversations. Did you hear what happened to Roy? It's terrible. They just got, uh, go back and forth. Uh, they just go back uh, about living their lives. Obviously, I wasn't chosen. I'm not the bald guy. Roy is the bald guy. But I feel the same as them. I am not the bald guy. The real me was killed that day I was chosen. The person I always saw myself becoming dead. My life since has merely been a passing of time, living on the other side of who I was supposed to be, the real me trapped inside a box in my head. I try to keep going, but when the thing that triggers uh, is unhappiness in my body, all it takes is to wake up in the morning and be at a minus 100. I work hard to remain happy. Sometimes I can get back to zero. Occasionally I can get above it, but it's hard for me to see life as anything other than punching my ticket to be endured rather than enjoyed. Thank you so much for, for this survey because it, it, it is not something that I've ever been able to wrap my head around. And as you were sharing this, it occurred to me that what you were saying is so much like people um, who are, feel that they are trapped in uh, the, the body of a gender that they don't identify with. And I don't think it really matters what it is that makes us feel out of place with our body. It, it's what do we, how do we move from here? to either find peace with it or you know find a way to change it or what whatever is the the healthy option um but yeah you know i i think we've all seen a guy with a really really bad toupee and and wondered why does he think that's better than being bald and after having read this i think it helps me understand the the they may, they might know it's not a a, a good looking toupee on them, but to them, I guess it still feels better than than being bald. And I never I never considered that feeling of who you feel you should have been. And that it's like a loss or, you know, a grief. Um, so thank you for that. And if anybody doesn't feel that this is an important issue, I think you're missing the point because you're viewing it through how you view bald people, not how they view 
themselves. And ultimately, isn't, isn't that what any type of emotional work or struggle or anything is about? It's not where it ranks on a scale of things. It's, okay, this is the hand we've been dealt. How, how, do, we, how do we handle this? Um, so thank you for that. Uh, this is a body shame survey filled out by self-critical Sally. Uh, <laughs> I love your guys' names. Uh, what do you dislike or, or like about your body? Uh, I dislike how fat I am. I have a healthy BMI, but have more excess weight than I want. I think this insecurity started because when I was a kid, my dad used to call me piggy or tell me my ass was going to be huge whenever he'd walk in on me eating chips, which usually happened after I'd just gotten home from dance class and could afford to eat a few extra calories. It angered me when he would say this, but I would silently rebel by eating the entire bag of chips, even though originally I only wanted a few. This only hurt me in the end, but there was no option to directly stand up to him, so that is how I coped. I hate my stretch marks. I got a lot of them when I went through puberty. I remember feeling self-conscious of them because I didn't even know what they were at the time. There was a particularly traumatic instance for me when my mom took me shopping for a swimsuit when I was 11 or 12. My breasts had just developed to around a B cup, and because this happened relatively quickly, I developed bright red stretch marks on them. I tried on a two-piece bathing suit, and when I showed it to my mom, she commented on my stretch marks, which made me more self-conscious about them. Then to make it worse, the saleswoman was trying to help, and while I was changing into another swimsuit, I heard my mom talking to her, asking if they had a swimsuit with more coverage, and saying things like, I never had stretch marks like that. It was like she was apologizing to the saleswoman for me not being perfect, and acting as if I wasn't right there on the other side of the curtain hearing every word she said. I hate my droopy eyelids, which were something I didn't even notice about myself until a very crass eye doctor told me I needed an upper eyelid lift because they were covering the tops of my pupils and impairing my vision. She also told me that I am overweight, but even if I lost weight, my eyelids would still sag. What a bitch. I've been to two eye doctors since her, and neither one of them has said anything about my eyelids. But still, her comments on my body continue to fuel my insecurities. I don't have an, an accompanying story for these last two, but I hate that I have fat love handles and pronounced hip dips instead of an hourglass figure, and I hate that my breasts sag and my nipples point slightly downward. I think, I think your nipples are just shy. Um, no, but, uh, in, in all seriousness, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Um, there are, you're, the surveys that you guys fill out help me understand so many different things about different people's experiences. Um, you know, like I've been doing this show eight years and almost everything that I read on your survey was stuff that I'm not even familiar with that kids can have stretch marks or um i don't know it it um i've certainly heard the parents shaming their kid uh for what they're eating and i i don't know what it's like to be a parent if you have a kid that 
is becoming a problem eater? I, I know the answer certainly isn't shaming them, but, um, I don't know how, how, how you would deal, uh, with that if you were worried about it becoming a health issue. And I, I think maybe that's the important thing is to understand the difference between what is your anxiety as a parent about your child's appearance versus what is your concern about your child's health. That's what I'm trying to say. Well, that was almost like 1940s therapist uh, popped into the room. Have not seen him in a while. Um, I know he was uh, thinking of going to uh, Cuba, and uh, I tried to explain to him that it was overthrown by a communist government, and he doesn't believe me. He needs to go see for himself. This is a body shame survey uh, filled out by a trans man um, who calls himself a transgender. And he writes, I'm a trans man, so I'm small. And although I don't constantly compare myself to cisgender men, I still can't let go of these thoughts. I feel inadequate not having a penis sometimes, and it makes me feel less than. Being a gay man is hard because the superficiality in the gay male community is real. I feel like I need validation, and it led me to have compulsive sex so I could be seen as a real man. I know that there are, first of all, thank you for sharing that, and I know that there are therapists out there who um, specialize in uh, trans issues uh, or just issues uh, or sexuality, um, issues in gender, uh, <laughs> gender or sexuality issues in general. Um so that might be something to, to look into or a, uh, a, a support group because um, I bet that would help. Um, and, you know, what you shared also reminds me of uh, a wonderful survey I had with uh, a trans man um, named Lauren, uh, who is the partner of uh, Hemda, who was uh, also a guest. And uh, he speaks very, very eloquently about that feeling of something, something missing. Uh, and he also, I believe he also does a podcast with Judy Gold called uh, Just Kill Me Now. So check out, I, I'm sure it's behind a paywall now, the episode with uh, Lauren. Um, and I believe Lauren is spelled L-O-R-E-N. Anyway, continuing. This is a uh, email I got from Lex, and uh, they write, Longtime listener, first-time caller. I'm stopping by to ask, what happened to Mean DJ Voice? We haven't heard from him in a while. He hasn't put on a single Skid Row song or insulted you in ages. Is he okay? Is he doing voiceovers for Frosted Pop-Tarts? The Quad Cities remain unrocked without him. I have been concerned about him, and I have a feeling that he... And 40s therapists uh, are up to something. And whatever it is, I know that it, it will be uninformed. <laughs> uh, it will definitely be uh, uh, unenlightened and not have any nuance to it. That I do know. But it could be that we're coming up on Rocktober. And I know he likes to organize all the songs uh, by Boston that he's going to play in order. Uh, and then he likes to photograph himself in front of the list. 
I'm enjoying some frost or unfrosted pop tarts that uh, a very kind listener sent to me. Blueberry. We can't get them on the West Coast. And I still, despite all the tweets and everything people say, trying to explain to me why frosted pop tarts are good, you're wrong. You're wrong. Unfrosted pop tarts are perfect. They don't need anything. Certainly not a layer of cementy sugar. I don't want to get off on a on a rant here. Here's a happy moment filled out by Depresso Represso. And she writes, uh, I recently went into my doctor's office trying to figure out my antidepressants, a struggle we all know too well. I had been on four different meds and hadn't found the help I needed from them. Most recently, I was on Celexa, and it made me lose about 20 pounds from nausea and didn't work that well for my depression anyway. I was lost and quit taking them and was ready to just let depression consume me until I couldn't take it anymore and ended it. Then, my doctor and what was like a choir from heaven told me that there was a newish liver function test that could help me find the medicine that could work best for me. It tests your specific biomarkers and reconciles that with liver enzymes that different medicines uh, are processed with. It then gives the doctor a list of meds that one, could work best, two, probably avoid, and three, definitely avoid. All it took was a cheek swab And I now know that Celexa is not good for my body, but Wellbutrin could be. This test gave me hope for the first time in years. This feels like my doctor is actually practicing medicine, not performing a trial and error ruse of care. I was actually excited to try to feel better. I'm so glad I finally have a doctor that spends time on my care and wants to actually help me. In just about a week and a half of taking the new medicine, I've noticed a huge difference. I'm still depressed and fighting my shit, but being on a new medicine has also inspired me to finally find a therapist in my new city and to start journaling, which is something I've struggled to do my whole life. For years, making a phone call would give me crippling anxiety, but now I'm down to slightly more manageable anxiety with the hope to get better. Finally, I finally... I think there's a typo here. Uh... I finally have this hope that I haven't had in 16 years. I'm now ready to finally try to feel better and not just go through the motions. This one little test helped me so much, and I'm so grateful to have this newfound hope. Love it. Love it. Man, so so many times it seems like just if we just keep seeking, be it help or seeking meaning or purpose, or connection in our lives, the the universe meets us halfway in, in ways that we could never have predicted. This is an awful moment <laughs> filled out by a woman I believe we've read one of hers before called Amazon Can Suck My Asshole, Paul. Uh, I'm not crazy about my name being right next to the word asshole, but I'm just going to digest that for a moment. There, at least there's a comma between asshole and Paul. Uh, After attempting to commit suicide by swallowing an entire bottle of my mother's pain medication, I was sitting in the hospital and my mom and sister came to visit me. We were all in tears and the moment could not have been any more painful for all of us. Then, without even trying to be ironic or funny, my sister says in between her dry heaving cries, this is a tough pill to swallow. 
We all looked at each other and burst into hysterical laughter. Those moments are the best. They really are. That, that to me, is like a mini version of life, that roller coaster of just low lows and then these great highs. And, um, yeah, it's probably why I smoke meth every day. I should not have said that out loud. Actually, meth and heroin are two of the drugs that I never did try. And ecstasy. <laughs> Actually, I guess there's a lot of drugs I haven't tried. Um, this is a body shame survey filled out by um, a young woman who calls herself Milky Way. And um, she is uh, 17 years old. And... Uh, what do you like or dislike about your body and why? I hate how my gut juts out awkwardly. I hate my uh, anxiety and depression. I hate that I have back pain due to the fact that when I was 12, I pulled a muscle and in turn moved my back out of place. I was out of place. It was out of place for two years. After years of suffering, physical therapy, and giant pain meds, like almost horse pills, we were finally able to get me to the chiropractor. He is a saint. He lets me come in free because he knows how much I need to go in, and he also knows that my mom just can't provide if she is the only one working because my dad can no longer work. Excuse me. I hate that I have to wear a wrist brace almost all the time to end the pain. I hate that my feet swell every time I walk or stand too long and that my ankle hurts so bad. I hate that I overheat so fast that I have to drink one Gatorade a day just so I don't faint. I hate the fact that when I go to get my blood tested, they welcome me back, calling me by name without even looking to see who I am. I hate having NF1. It used to be called von Recklinghausen disorder. It's a nerve disorder that can cause tumors. It also causes cafe au lait spots that could, that could turn that could, if you are unlucky, turn into tumors. I hate how sometimes my nerves hurt and cause me to have a sharp pain that can last for hours. I love my spots. They remind me that I'm only human. I love my hair. I love the way it feels and the way it looks. I love my eyes. They are hazel and often are brought out when I wear green. I've been playing music, uh, piano, for seven years and I love my fingers. I love the way they are able to make music. They are probably one of the strongest things on my body. And I love that you finished with some loves about your body. Most of the people that fill out the body shame survey, um, it's just all dislikes and there's, and there's no likes. And, um, and then I wanted to uh, end the show with some loves I have just about bodies in uh, in general. Um, we're, we are going to come swinging right out of the gate. Uh, I love when you're by yourself and you fart extra loud just because you're by yourself and it's such a ridiculous noise or it's so long that you make yourself laugh. And as you're laughing, you realize that your own body is making you laugh like it's another person. Uh, I love the moment when a really, really hot bath stops being uncomfortably hot and you let go and relax. And sometimes you're like peeing a little bit. Uh, I like when you get a haircut 
and suddenly you realize that you're not as ugly as you thought you were. Uh, I love the way my body feels drinking caffeine after hard exercise and a hot shower and stretching. It's like a feeling of being excited, but also like a noodle and relaxed at the same time. Um, I love when I'm with a woman and I just lightly smell soap or just a hint of perfume, especially on her neck. Um, I don't know. It's almost like, like there's a, if there was a doorway to physical intimacy, that to me is like the threshold of like the beginning of knowing somebody physically, intimately. And it's, it's like somebody walking out of their front door as you're coming to their house for the first time and they're just, it's a casserole of, of your favorite food. It's just so, I don't know, inviting and I just love it. Um, I hope this one's not creepy, but I love the intimacy of oral sex. Uh, because to me, it's more intimate than fucking because it's, you're almost like at the, the center of that person physically and the area that we probably all have the most anxiety or hang-ups about. And that person is letting you in and trusting you with that. It's kind of the same. It's kind of like the physical version of somebody sharing a secret with you, you know, that trust. Um, it just feels uh, special. It's like... Um, yeah, like a physical representation of someone saying you are special. Um, <laughs> I love taking a shit that's so big that your depression lifts. Maybe it's just me, but sometimes I get backed up when I'm depressed. And uh, I don't know, man. I bet there's people right now that are laughing and shaking their head. And then my last one is, I love when you're sick in bed and someone brings you soup. And not only are you reminded that someone loves you, but the soup kind of helps clear out your congestion. And then you get to go back to sleep with a full belly, super relaxed, and feeling like you're loved. I hope you enjoyed this, uh, this episode. Thank you guys for the surveys and all that stuff. And uh, if you feel so inclined to help the show in any way, and we do need help, um, just go to the show notes for uh, our episodes, and it tells you all different kinds of ways, financial and non-financial, that you can um, help the podcast and help keep it going. Um, and just, if you're out there and you're feeling stuck or alone, just remember you're not alone, and um, help is out there. Sometimes it just starts with us opening up to someone we feel safe with and um, going from there. So, uh, thanks for listening. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautiful. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely